You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hi, and welcome to this edition of Critical Mass Business Talk Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, and we have a great show planned for you. My guest, Dane Gruneveld, is the CEO, Chief Executive Officer of Huddle 3 Group. Dane, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rick. It's great to be uh, on today with you. Yes, it's great to have you on. And as I said, you're the CEO of Huddle 3 Group. And I'd like to ask, what was the original motivation to start this business? So, you know, having worked in the industry, uh, providing you know professional manpower to large companies, building facilities, operating facilities, um, I was really eager to get back to a smaller business, work more closely with people, be more creative, be more innovative. So, you know, that was a big driver for setting up Huddle 3 Group. We really want to play more in the innovation sphere of, you know, changing the way we all work together. And this is slightly over a year ago you started it. So I'm wondering, have you had any major or minor pivots that have happened yeah. uh, since you started? I think Huddle 3 Group emerged as part of a pivot. And oh. you know, it's been a constant series of small pivots, you know, right through you know, COVID and then all of the technology acceleration and virtual work, there's been so much change. So uh, if there's one thing that we've got pretty good at, it's um, it's been embracing change. So what is it that Huddle 3 does? So really, in, at its very essence, we're all about connecting people and businesses to do work together, um, whether that's in one of our staffing businesses, our engineering business, our software business, it all, it all revolves around how people and businesses come together to design a new project or to maintain a facility or to bring a new product to market. That, that's what we do. What's behind the name? Uh, yeah, so when you think about the way that people and businesses work together, we sort of drew on that sports analogy of, you know, huddling up together because, you know, once upon a time it was all companies and their employees and we've seen so much more distribution of work over the last 20 or 30 years there's consulting firms there's independent consultants there's um, subcontractors our, our whole view was how do we get people to work together you know the the owner of the facility the employee the the, the vendor or the partner that's in that process um, and as huddle was taken, we switched the E for a three because it shows three people teaming up, which is the minimum number we think you need to uh, team up successfully. Interesting. So let, let's let's go back a minute or a question to what it is exactly that Huddle 3 does. And you're, it sounds like Huddle 3 is doing a lot of things, but you're doing it through separate or different entities. Is that, yes. is that true? Okay. Yeah, so Huddle 3 Group isn't itself an operating company. We're a, a parent company, a holding company. We provide some centralized services to businesses that we own or invest in. Um, so largely that's privately held professional services businesses in staffing and engineering. And we service the process intensive industries, those like um, oil refining, uh, chemicals, uh, manufacturing of uh, medical devices and pharmaceuticals, power and renewables, anywhere where you really have a lot of equipment and a lot of people working together to produce uh, a product. 
So how do you find the, how did you find, or are you finding companies that you think fit in your portfolio? Yeah, that's a good question, Rick. Really, we're always out networking. I think uh, maybe going back to your early question on what our pivot has been, maybe the common theme of our pivot is we're really embracing that ecosystem. We're really out there talking to our competitors, our partners, our clients, employees of companies that work in adjacent areas. And we're really trying to learn, you know, where, where do we share values with people where we want to make positive change together? And then how can we partner? And often if we start with the idea of a partnership, it may well, you know, it may well, I guess, progress to the point of having a conversation about, could we invest in your business or buy your business? Cause we, we really like the way that you're operating and, and we want to do more together. So that's, that's generally been the philosophy. So it sounds Dana a little bit like, and correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth and not properly, but your vision is one plus one is three, not yeah. two. Yeah. That's a great way to phrase it. Okay. From, from your client's perspective, not necessarily just from the holding company and your operating companies from the correct. Okay. Yeah, from the client's perspective, from our partner's perspective, we think that there's so much change happening right now. Um, and no one company, you know, can do it all on their own. So let's get groups of people together and let's really team up to bring a new way of getting something done to the table. Um, whether that's something very simple, like just teaming up on a collaboration between an engineering firm and a maintenance firm and a client to come up with a better way to service one of their units on a manufacturing line, um, or whether that's more complex, bringing in different technologies and helping educate um, individuals to move into new jobs, which is a longer cycle process. We're, we're really exploring the fringes of, of how we drive you know, the future of work. You know, I work pretty closely with privately held companies, and I know how some of the leaders of those companies can be proud of the business that they've built. Um, I'm wondering how you demonstrate to them the value of sort of becoming a part of a greater good, a larger organization yeah. versus being that that company that they've maybe built over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, that's that really is the the start of the dance, really. Um, you know, there are so many great entrepreneur and founder led businesses out there. Uh, a number of them just due to demographics right now are starting to face a, a succession plan mm -hmm. or, or a looming succession plan. Uh, and, you know, the world's changing fast. So we'll go in and tell our story. We Huddle 3 Group emerged from PTS Advance, which was a local Irvine based staffing company. We started the business, Ronstein started in 1995. So, you know, we're operators, our DNA is family business. We look for ways to continue to um, sustain the best of a brand or the way that the company works together um, and then add to it some of the different ways of partnering or using technologies. So we're not looking to kind of come in and take that business and say, hey, you didn't do it the right way. We're going to force you into a new way of doing things better. That's that's not we're all about learning and growing together. Uh, and and I think to date, our success with the acquisitions and mergers we've completed has been we create a, a story where we do put one and one together to make three for the customer, for the internal employees, for the for the shareholders. 
And how many operating companies are under the Huddle 3 umbrella? Right now, we've got six operating companies. Six. Wow. Wow. Okay. Uh, and why the industries that you pick? Tell me a little bit more about why those specific verticals made sense for you with this business model. That's a good, really good question. So for me, process intensive industries is where there's a lot of equipment, there's a lot of regulation. Um, we're building with a 10, 20 year uh, horizon and, and we're operating those assets with that horizon. So there's a lot of uh, people that form that supply chain to, to either build the asset or operate the asset. Um, we're also creating very essential products and services. So power in your homes, gasoline in your vehicles, pharmaceuticals and medical devices that we put into our bodies. So we've generally circled those industries and, and found our acquisitions in those industries. Uh, and we believe that the large companies in those industries, many of whom are our customers, have got a tremendous wealth of knowledge and resource and experience and community footprint that we can harness as we keep looking for ways to innovate. So. You know, if we can stay in those segments, market segments, and continue to come up with incremental changes and improvements, then those best practices can be adopted by the clients and be pushed more wide scale. So that, that allows us to have more impact as well as to learn um, how we go along and, and how we continue to you know, focus our attention on, on which problems are, are most in need of solving. So I know from your recent experience with PTS, that was the, those, those were some of the industries that you, that they are focused on and that you were focused on as the yes. CEO. Is your experience predate that experience with PTS in these verticals as well, Dane? Yeah, I've, I've spent my whole life in and around process industry. So I grew up, my dad was a mining engineer in Australia. So I got the opportunity to move around and see open cut coal and aluminum smelters and mm -hmm. gold mines. Um, I then uh, had the opportunity to uh, start my career working uh, with a lot of civil construction and, and mining projects. We were building a lot of tunnels, bridges, new mines in Australia, and then moved into oil and gas where we've supported, I would say, you know, tens of thousands of employees to deploy across 50 or 60 different countries. So, you know, luckily for the 20 or so years that I've been at work, I've had the experience of seeing some pretty cool stuff and going into some new countries like Papua New Guinea or Mozambique where we're working with local workforces and we're, we're really developing um, not only industries but economies. So that, that's that's a big driver of, I guess, where our focus is. Excellent. And now you're here in the States with yes. what seems like you're putting down some pretty deep roots. Very deep roots. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not going to get a Texan girl uh, to Australia for very long. So California was a really good compromise. I get to surf and she gets to stay here and uh, enjoy her culture, which I've embraced. It's all about a win-win. Win-win. That's it. Everybody's got to be happy. So yeah. that's fantastic. So, you know, you, you came to my attention in one of the roundtables that we host periodically here for CEOs and CFOs in Orange County talking about kind of the wage inflation was the topic on the table, but you brought up an interesting uh, idea that I've done some research on that I'd like you to talk about a little bit because you you were the kind of the first that brought it to my uh, my attention and that's this idea of results only work environment you know you, 
yeah. we're talking we were talking about the future of work and specifically this concept seems so fascinating to me because of what you talked about earlier too which is there's so much change happening via covid and it was sort of happening before covid but it got accelerated in how the how we deal with our employees so can we, can we spend a little bit of this interview talking about yeah, the love to. results only work environment yeah absolutely so i'm always scanning for great ideas in hr and um i guess at a high level i try and adapt some of their principles in our businesses not necessarily applying the full program i know best buy was one big example that rolled out and then retracted the results only work environment so at its essence it's not paying people just for the hours they do it's paying people for the the result of their work product um now that can be a little bit difficult but but if you take the principles of let's stop telling people that they're only worth their hours and, and that actually we want to give them a bit of freedom and flexibility and a bit of creativity to do their job then i think you tend to get a lot more um morale in your work culture I think there's a lot of positive morale there. You tend to get a lot more innovation and probably better productivity. I think people uh, will naturally gravitate towards where their strengths are rather than just do the job that they think they have to do. So we've essentially in our businesses adopted a results only work environment in the sense that we don't want to get too heavily into the weeds on what tasks you're doing every day or which tasks lead to success. We want to create that freedom um if you need to take time off at lunch to go and walk the dog or work out or if you do your best work at night great you know we'll pay you a good salary we're not going to make you put a timesheet in we'll give you some performance-based rewards for your outcomes and and we really try and make it a safe place for people to you know do their best work you know when they're best at doing it so is it do you think this type of philosophy works better in some environments than others? Or what's your sense on that? I think the Best Buy example um, was a good, a good case study and where it doesn't work very well because you've got people in a store selling a product. There's, there's certain times that you have to open the store, restock the shelves. It's really difficult when you're dictating the task flow to employees to say it's results only. Um, so I think it works better in knowledge work and teamwork. Um, naturally, the same would be true if you rolled it out at a refinery. You can't have people say, I'm going to turn up and have a look at this issue on the unit at 10 p.m. at night if the issue starts at 8 a.m. So I think it, it, it's definitely um, better suited to, to those knowledge and creativity uh, workspaces. Um, but you can still draw on some of those principles with some of the flexibility or maybe giving windows of time for employees to have flexibility or work on some innovative tasks. What has been your experience with the way that managers and supervisors have to adjust their leadership style to yeah. get the best out of a results only work environment? That, to be fair, the manager is the linchpin of the whole thing. Like if you've got a good manager that embraces it and they have to live by the example too, you can't have a manager that's a workaholic sending out emails around the clock asking for immediate responses. Um, so if you have a manager that really embraces it with their team, they tend to do a better job setting out either daily or weekly what's expected of the team. And then they do a really good job of coaching because it's all about coaching. So they'll check in with each individual and say, how can I help you achieve what you need to do this week? Considering not only the work result, but also the personal needs of, of that individual. 
and we've got some great managers like that in our teams that that have proven time and time again that they can bring talent into the organization and get them moving and keep growing them in a way that you know is is very mature is very flexible and, and allows that individual to start to craft their own path in the organization which is I think really exciting in, in a professional services or in a software environment. Dane, what has been your experience with how this gets messaged into an organization initially? Because my my sense is it sounds kind of harsh. Results only work environment yeah. feels a little bit punitive. It does feel punitive. So number one, we we don't go too hard on the results. We talk more about the destination rather than mm. um, how we're going to get there along the way. And number two, we've always focused heavily on the human side of it. What are the what's in it for me? If you're an employee, um, one of the big things we did is rolled out flexible PTO or unlimited PTO. And that that's a that's a blessing and a curse in some respects, because some people say, well, now I don't have my PTO to bank and get paid out at Christmas time or whatever they do. Um, but, but if you talk about the fact that as a company, we're now saying no timesheets for all of our exempt workers, and we're saying, here's this opportunity for you to take time off when you want to, um, and, you know, be more flexible. And here's an opportunity to maybe participate in a tiger team or a project group that you wouldn't ordinarily do. You start to prove out that it's safe for people to, to start to play with the framework. And then later on, you start tightening up a little bit towards the results. But that's where I said at the beginning, we take the principles and we don't apply strictly. So we're not attaching people's pay to the results. We're more attaching people's freedoms um, in how they take personal time and what tasks and projects they choose to you know, spend their time on. Have you seen any difference in kind of accepting this based on generations and anything different in the age of the work worker as far as the acceptance of this concept yeah i think it's actually got less to do with age and more to do with habits okay um, if you bring a gen z or a gen y employee into the organization they may have come from a company that already adopts some of these principles or they may just like this philosophy so it's pretty easy if you look at a more tenured employee whether they're 25 or 75, um, if they've been in the business for four or five years and they're used to filling out their timesheet and working on a set schedule and, um, you know, not having this, this new regime rolled out, that naturally there's some change resistance. And that the first types of reactions are, where is my banked PTO? I used to use that as an income supplement or you know, I'm really frustrated that on three o'clock I went to call my colleague and they weren't available because mm. traditionally they were always available at three, but now they're out walking their dog. So there's definitely some change management challenges there with, I would say, the more tenured employees rather than the different ages of employees. It, the, what caught my attention on this during that roundtable was that it also feels like this might be a more appropriate model for a remote work environment as well. Yeah. Yeah. That I think that's a really good observation. And, and the reason I say that is there's been some noise in the press about companies monitoring 
you know, keystrokes and emails <laughs> and things that people are doing when they're working remote. And that's real. And that's really sad uh, because that's quite, that's a dehumanized way to work, in my opinion. If we're employing someone to be a knowledge worker or to be a professional and we're trusting them to work from home, we've got to trust them to work from home. So I think it's a much more constructive format to say, look, Bob, look, Jenny, we expect this week that you're going to deliver this many brochures that you design and, and produce for the for the new service line or that you're going to make this many calls to new sales prospects or you're going to complete 15 new ux interviews for our new software product whatever it is if you can focus on the result you say but i'm not going to tell you it has to happen in this way and at that time then you can still have a really crucial conversation with that individual if they're not producing results at the end of the week without having to kind of check in and say, how many calls did you make and why weren't you logged in at this time? That's that's destructive. And when we've got this talent shortage, this great resignation going on, employee experience is really important. So I think that this this construct is is a really good backbone for building employee experience and some really some some good mentoring and coaching uh, tools for managers that are struggling with remote and virtual work for their team. So I feel like we've had a pretty open conversation about a results only work environment. Is there anything in your experience that stands out about it that I didn't think or we didn't have a chance to discuss that you want to mention at this point before we move? No, on? I think you touched on some great points, how to communicate it, how to make it safe, um, how to drive adoption. I, th I think they're all all really good points. Well, thank you. And, and, and thank you for bringing it up to my attention. It's like anything, right? We don't know what we don't know. And then when someone gives us an inkling of an idea, it's great to be able to go off and then have someone with direct experience like you. I was as excited to bring you on the program when I, you know, after we had that roundtable. Yeah. Dane, where do you go in your professional day to get access to other entrepreneurs, their insights and experiences that you're using to help you and your company stay ahead of your competition and to grow huddle three that's a big part of the job um and it's probably the part i like the most it's it's constantly networking and attaching myself to groups whether it's going talking to a customer about where their challenges are and where we could be shaping things differently I, my customers give me some brilliant feedback and ideas um i spend a lot of time uh, in the community uh, volunteering time i'm a bit part of university lab partners here in irvine and it's a wonderful place to meet entrepreneurs and other business professionals that are really convening around bringing new uh, technologies in healthcare forwards. Hmm. Um, I'm a member of a Vistage group, so I get to sit down once a month with a group of 14 or 15 other CEOs and listen to speakers, process issues that we have, um, and and ultimately you know present developments in our businesses. So that's a great learning environment. And then there's other things more in the investment community. There's a great group here in Orange County, uh, Security Investments. And uh, Matt Hayden down there runs a Best Ideas event every quarter. And I turn up to those Best Ideas event and events and I get to meet a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of uh, successful business people that are now moving into the investment stage of their careers. And it's just amazing what you can connect as you start seeing how they uh, tackle their projects differently or what problems they're facing and and you can learn from those other industries even if it's not directly in your line of business so 
that, that's probably 70% of my job right now. Yeah, I'm glad to hear you say that you're doing all those things because I believe in business uh, experience is the best teacher, but yes. some lessons, some lessons are best learned vicariously. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And so if, if you can be out either talking to investors and or other peers, I think that's fantastic. So I applaud you for recognizing how, that you need to work on your business, not always in your business, which is critical. So if absolutely. let's talk about the future of Huddle Three. Where do yeah. you describe your vision for the future? Well, the more great people I meet, the more it grows. Um, so. You know, right now, I would say our vision for the future is that we can touch a million employees um, and maybe as many small businesses uh, through our technologies and through our service businesses in a way that helps them come and have a more meaningful work experience. You know, technology is accelerating. We're seeing AI, we're seeing machine learning, we're seeing robotics. If we can find ways for companies and people to work together and create great work, um, ways to do the work, uh, new ways to design technologies. If we're playing in that space, we're going to have, I think, a really big impact on our customers and our employees, but also the wider community. You know, hopefully employees will and companies will start to see where they can um, navigate their career path or their business development path in a way that meets their, you know, commercial uh, objectives, but also lifestyle objectives and that whole people planet piece right now with sustainability is is you know ever present in in the front of our minds so i think we all need to be thinking 10 20 years ahead as to what role we're going to play for the future generations so if, if huddle 3 can help help that that would be a great uh, destination for success and those are important questions to ask without most times an obvious answer where in 10 or 20 years will we should we be those are yeah. thought exercises that in my experience take time to gestate and evolve and you may not ever have the answer because it's always a bit changing but at least you're asking the question and thinking about it which is again working on the business not always just in the business delivering results absolutely important so if someone would like to connect with dane on linkedin or learn more about huddle three online where do they go dane they so go? huddle three groups website is uh huddle three dot group and we've also got um on linkedin our company page uh, and my linkedin page where i'm pretty available linkedin's a key tool that i operate off so i'm normally pretty quick to respond there and how do you spell your last name, Dave? Oh, that's a tough one. Gruneveld. Uh, G-R-O-E-N-E-V-E-L-D. For those of you that might be listening in the future to the podcast audio-only version, I wanted to help you out there a little bit. If you're watching the live stream or YouTube, you, you can see his name on the screen. So uh, I've been excited to have you on the show. Like I said, since the roundtable, uh, you haven't disappointed. This has been a fun exercise. And I'd like to have you back at some point in the future. Continue yeah, I'd love that. I'd love that. Thanks for great questions. It's, it's really enjoyable having these types of conversations. It was fun, and I appreciate your time. And I want to thank Gottlieb, Rackman, and Reisman, who proudly supported today's edition of Critical Mass Business Talk Show. GRRPC provides legal advice and guidance on all aspects of intellectual property law, including patents, trademarks, and copyrights. If you'd like to learn more, visit, <clears throat> excuse me, grr.com. And thank you 
listening audience for being a part of Orange County's longest running business talk show. This was episode number 1,200, excuse me, 1,321. If you'd like to connect with me on LinkedIn, I'm Rick, R-I-C, Franzi, or you can visit my website, rickfranzi.com. Until our next show, I hope all of your business decisions move your company in a positive direction. Thank you.